0: So I raised $3.25 billion without a product, just as the vision of it. And in all honesty, that's low for building a financial product. Like, it's really, really expensive because we also built something direct to market.
1: Stephanie Sample is the founder of Funded a platform that empowers women and minority small business owners on their growth journeys by simplifying business finance and access to capital. During the pandemic, Stephanie noticed that most PPP loans were going to male-owned companies while women and minority business owners were in much greater need. Fueled with passion, she saw an opportunity to help women and minority small business owners navigate access to capital. Tune in to hear tips on how to raise capital, apply for grants, and so much more. Coming up, how each new business venture can evolve from past business experience. Stephanie shares her tips and tricks on how to profitably exit your business. And finally, you'll hear the story of how Funded started and how you can benefit from their platform. share your story today and hear all about your entrepreneurista journey. Did you always know when you were growing up that you wanted to be an entrepreneur?
0: Oh, no way. Like, I didn't even think entrepreneurship was like an option for me. I grew up like a really normal person. I don't know what that means anymore. But you know, I remember when I was really young, I had like this goal of like being able to ice skate. And that was like the extent of my vision for myself, which was not even an option because I wasn't ice skating at the time. But (laughs) like, long story short is I had a job in college in sports marketing. I thought that I would go back into sports marketing after I graduated.
1: And tell me your journey after graduating from school. What was your, you know, business trajectory? How did you get to where you are? I graduated from
0: college in 08 with a degree in international business and Chinese in Missoula, Montana, so a town of like 80,000 people. A year before I graduated, I was living in China, working at a sports marketing firm there. And I had thought that I was just back for the year to finish my degree and then turn around and go right back to China. So when I graduated and didn't go back to China, because of kind of the economy, because Mm -hmm. of meeting who's now my husband, I had this kind of horrible year of essentially not being able to find a job. I think I ended up with some job as an office manager for like $24,000 a year. And I was just kind of stuck with this, like, what am I going to do here? How am I going to make this work in Montana? Like, I have these like big goals for myself. And at the time, I was making bags on the side I was also, I was doing Ironman. And so I took this like material from my Ironman and, or actually was from Boston Marathon and I converted it into a bag. And I, I was meeting with a professor of mine, my strategic management professor. And I was like, hey, do you think I could like sell these? <laughs> Having no idea. I was like, I just have to do something because I'm going to like die in this office shop that I have. And he's like, I don't know. You should try So I maxed out my credit card, which had like a $7,500 limit um, to get an expo booth at the Las Vegas Marathon. I made 10 demo bags, and I went down to see if anyone would buy these bags for me. I ended up selling like about 75 of them, put my job the next day, and I've been an entrepreneur ever since and have really had like a 13-year journey as an entrepreneur up to now. And I've done now just several businesses, all different types of businesses, and it's been awesome.
1: Can you tell me about some of those different businesses and how did you know when it was time to move on from one business and go to the next?
0: So I ended up as an entrepreneur kind of by accident. Like I told you the story with the bags, but what also was happening at the same time was my now husband at the exact same time took over a family business. So Overnight while I was still in college we also were owners of seven locations of Taco Bells in western Montana Yum. and so <laughs> yeah yeah so we we were really young and um, he was doing that taking over a family business was in entrepreneurship and then I started my first company Mile 22 bags but what is so interesting about all the different businesses which are so I've done Taco Bells which we still have we have 12 now I brought the brand of Massage MV to the state of Montana, built it up and sold it. We bought a military logistics company out of Texas, moved it to Montana. I've owned a marketing agency that I just sold to my very first employee. And I'm sure a few things that I'm forgetting up until funded, which is what I'm doing now. And for me, I used to feel like something was wrong with me because I used to switch all the time. And it's like, oh my gosh, am I like supposed to stick with these things? Like, Am I broken as a human because I get bored and move on? But what I've learned about myself now is that I'm a builder. I'm a zero to one. And after it gets operational and profitable, it hasn't to date been something that has engaged me long term. I think that it will be different with funded in Mm -hmm. that it's a large enough challenge that every season feels different. So funded feels like having a whole new business every three months, which is super cool. So, so far, so good. (laughs) I've remained engaged and think that I will. And I am kind of ready. I always am like, this is my last one. So maybe I'm in a phase where I'm ready to stick with this. But honestly, I've just allowed myself to follow how I feel at the time. And it's like, if I feel like time's up, I need to sell.
1: I just sell it and be done with it. Thank you so much for sharing that and being like so transparent about your background and not, you know, like owning like this is who you are. And you've gained these learning lessons from these insights of all of these different businesses. And as someone like myself and Courtney, who are involved in many different ventures, people will say to us all the time, like, how do you guys focus? How do you do all these different things? And it's like, no, everything has evolved from the next thing. And just because you're involved in different businesses doesn't mean that you're the one that's, you know, running point day-to-day operations on every single thing. Like you can be involved in a business and not have to be the one that's actually running everything. I do have some questions for you, Steph, about the process of selling a business, because many Mm. of our entrepreneurs are in that stage where not only are they thinking about, you know, what their exit strategy is or if they want to exit, because as we all know, there's some businesses that you just want to hold on to forever and want to manage and run. And that's totally fine. But there are some businesses that are members I know that are involved in that they are looking to build it to sell. Can you share some of the learning lessons from your experience selling a few businesses?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, one thing I wish I would have known earlier on is to think about the exit before you start, right? Because there's also some kind of industry norms in different kinds of segments and channels within businesses, meaning like agency, which I've owned, you own. That's a, oh, usually like a one X annual revenue business. It usually comes with strings attached to the founders of having to stick around. Things like that. And I'm like, oh, that would have been really good to know going Before in. Before you started it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas other businesses, you, like, hear about these, like, you know, up to 7x multiples of EBITDA. And it's like, well, those sound like good businesses. So first things first is, like, really understand the exit potential of your business and, and the industry you're in as early as possible to create realistic expectations around exiting and then within exiting, I think it's really important to just understand how it works in that specific industry. Like, I know, like back to a marketing firm, there's a few brokers out there that are kind of the go-to for buying and selling marketing firms. They could tell you a lot early on about what kind of numbers they're looking for in order to get acquisitions done and and kind of how to manage your business to those expectations. Same with things like Taco Bell. Like, So in Taco Bell, you know, it's like knowing private equity is the the main player in Taco Bell these days. And so understanding, like, if you're going to exit and sell your Taco Bells, you're highly likely going to be exiting to private equity firms. Mm. So it's probably a pretty good idea of having good relationships there early on, understanding what they're looking for early on so that you can manage your P&L and your financials to hit those numbers and have a really good exit. I think the worst time to exit is when you just decide one day that you don't want to do it anymore and you didn't have all these relationships or build this knowledge. And then you're just like, hey, accountant, here are my numbers. Can you find me a buyer? Like, just like anything, networking and having those relationships early is so important to exiting. I know when I exited my massage MVs, it was the result of being well-connected within the owner's community ahead mm-hmm. of time. So I literally, like, put it up owner's Facebook page and had, like, five different people reach out within an hour because I I was active in that community. They mm-hmm. knew that I ran good businesses and, and then were interested. But it's so industry-specific is the biggest insight.
1: I think the key theme that you shared there is building your network and connections. And really, your network and community is absolutely everything when building yeah. a business. And that's how you're able to get connected and share and make those relationships last and then when you are ready to sell you can go to those go to those people that you already have relationships with and even if it's not them you you know ask for an introduction to someone. So definitely really great key points and themes there. So I want to hear now how your experience with all of these different businesses that you've been involved in over the past 10 plus years has now evolved into your new business funded, which I am just so excited about and was so happy <laughs> when I found your business because the members in our lead community are all looking for opportunities to learn about grants, how to get funded, how to apply for cards, what the best options are. when I found your platform, I'm like, Steph, we have to have you on the podcast and share everything. <laughs> so tell me tell me all tell me all of it. <laughs> Awesome.
0: Yes, definitely. So, funded our company today, which is focused on empowering small business owners by simplifying business finance and access to capital, we specifically achieve this mission for companies with under 10 employees, which is a massive market, the most underserved market in the country, often kind of talked about in the financial space as not worth anyone's time, which I really pisses me off, which is Mm -hmm. part of why I started it. And how Funded really came about is like from being a small business owner all these years and as a female and really young female to be an entrepreneur. And then in Montana, which is totally like, you know, generations behind the world in some ways, but in other ways, really amazing. I just had experiences, let's call them, along the way that were really frustrating. Like, why is my name never on loan documents of companies I own? (laughs) Or, you know, things like that happened to me over and over again. And when, before the pandemic, I had this experience joining a a business network that essentially was all male, where it felt like to me and my experience that my gender was an issue. And I had this moment where I was like, Jesus, for 10 years, I've done everything right. I've worked my ass off. I've logged the hours. I was a good employer. I made a lot of money. I was, you know, so good at running a business. And it was like, oh my gosh, nothing's ever going to be enough. Like, what the heck? And I just got really frustrated. And then I had exited my Massage Envy, so I had more time on my hands. And so I started a nonprofit just to help other women entrepreneurs, mostly out of this negative experience I had. And that evolved into funded during the pandemic when um, there was just this really clear moment where I woke up, I opened my Wall Street Journal app, which is pretty much the first thing I do every morning. And the first article was how the first round of the PPP loans essentially went to a bunch of like white bankers who turned around and gave them to all their white male friends that were their clients. And there was this massive gap in the first round of PPP loans for minorities, for women, for ultra small business owners. The gig economy totally got left out. Mm -hmm.
1: And And these are the people that needed it most.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, you know, businesses like mine got it really quickly. The Taco Bell business is what I'm talking about. And, And it was really frustrating to me. It was really like frustrating experience of like, there's a lot of guilt associated with it, a lot of like, oh, my gosh, this is like if we if everyone, anyone in the world ever questioned how our financial markets really work, we all just saw, yep. <laughs> you know, it was like really horrible. And then the next thing I went to my inbox, which is, you know, like I'm an entrepreneur. It's like the first thing I do right after I read news, maybe before And I got a new link. It was by a woman named Jessie Draper, who Mm -hmm. runs Halogen Ventures out of California, a great venture fund. And she wrote this amazing article on Medium that was essentially like, women aren't effing charity in business. And it talked about how during the pandemic... All of the traditional VCs essentially like went back to their comfort zone and venture funding to women actually decreased mm-hmm. quite significantly. And it was only at 2% to begin with. So it's like, oh my God, how is it even possible that this could decrease? And I was just really pissed. And I I, I turned to my husband and I'm like, I'm not going to be on the sidelines on this. Like, I have to do something. I have to be part of the solution. I can't sit around complaining about our financial markets, but not get in the game and help. And that was kind of the, crea- the starting point of Funded. And then it led to a lot of curiosity. I took a ton of meetings with people that knew a lot about what was going on in small business lending and access to capital. I learned a lot for a few months and then I launched Funded and we launched with our Grant Match program because we realized that a lot of these super small businesses were searching for grants as a financial solution because they weren't getting capital, Mm -hmm. like lending capital. And yet business grants are really hard to find. So we built a marketplace where we organized all of the business grants out there. We made it really searchable easy to find grants that you can apply for, easy to figure out if you qualify or not. And we just tried to break down that barrier as a starting point before we went out and raised.
1: Well, it is so incredible what you've already been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. And I love that you saw this need, it realized it was a problem, and didn't just want to sit on the sidelines and let everyone else try to figure it out. And you wanted to take it into your own hands to, to make it happen. So congratulations and thank you.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, of course. It's been like so much work. I mean, I, I'm glad I didn't know what I was signing up for at the time.
1: <laughs> Courtney and I always say that actually, Courtney, she was just speaking on a panel the other day and she said, the people asked like, would you do it now? Had you known? And it's like, most people would be like, no, wouldn't do it. Yeah. But it's you learn along the way, right? And and it all works out. You just keep going, build your community, have your connections and yep. resources and, and that's all you can do. And you're you're on this path forward now. Up next, the playbook to a successful venture capital pitch. Hint, it's not just about the pitch deck. All right, Steph, I want to hear more about the process of getting this business off the ground because you did just go through actually two rounds of fundraising. But before you even went through the raise, were you already starting to build the platform or did you start the raise first?
0: I learned really quickly that I was going to have to build something that was venture backed because in order, like through those few months of learning and a lot of just meetings, I learned like the small business lending space is a really low margin space, right? Because the mm-hmm. loan amounts are low. And so it's like it had to be done at scale, which means you had to leverage technology in order to do it at scale. So I knew I was doing something venture-backable. I also knew that only 2% of women were getting venture funding. And instead of being, like, angry about it, I kind of took this mindset of, like, I have to play the game by the cards I've been dealt and win that way Um, mm-hmm. with the parameters kind of set on me. And so I kind of set out to de-risk what I was doing as much as possible. Of course investors think it's for them but it's actually for me because <laughs> um, this is going to be a big commitment for the next 10 years of my life so I wanted to make sure it was pretty much de-risked. So what we did was we first built the grant match program. Pre-funding, I built it myself. I like used like a no-code platform.
1: Which platform did you use?
0: web flow and kind of just hacked my way through it. I did have like a web design marketing background. So it wasn't impossible. Hired like a freelancer from Upwork to kind of support me that was a developer. So we stood up the grant match program. We started getting users of it and because one of the things I knew about finance and specifically venture funding and finance is that customer acquisition cost is one of the biggest problems for all of these fintechs. And investors kind of look at it and they're like, well, If it costs you $2,000 to acquire a customer and your lifetime value is only $2,100, is this really a venture scalable business? Mm -hmm. So we were like, okay, we need to prove that we could acquire and surface these businesses way, way cheaper than the market can. We could do it at scale. And serve them really well and kind of add value to them. So, we launched Facebook ads for our grant match program. And we showed that we could convert someone into our grant match program and help them find grants for under a dollar a user. And then it was kind of spreading organically too, because it was really valuable to these businesses, which is great because that was the whole point. We wanted it to be helpful to them. So, we first got 7,000 users of our grant match program. We dialed in the product we wanted to take to market which was determined to be a business building card. So it what it's a business charge card that we consider an on-ramp for small businesses for their future finance. Like So it's like our card serves as a purpose for a business owner to essentially get their first business credit card that is not tied to them personally and is not tied to their personal credit score to start having a financial product they could build credit off of that mm-hmm. then will lead to future lending products. So we went out to the market and raise on that, that vision of building that product off of the success of the grant match program. And then that was like, so we launched the grant match program last May and we started raising in September. And then we closed around in November off of that kind of path and trajectory we wanted to be on.
1: Did you survey those 7,000 people who had applied to be part of the program to ask them if this is a product that if you built it, they would use? Totally. So we didn't even know what the financial product would be. When people
0: signed up for our grant match program, which is still true today, the thank you screen is a survey. And we actually spent some money up front to learn how to do really good market research. Mm -hmm. So we have, I think, seven versions of our survey now that have evolved. And so we wanted to specifically ask this segment, like, what do you need? What do you want? And then we determined our product from that. We learned a lot of these businesses didn't have a source of funding for their business and, in fact, didn't know how to get funding that they were using their a personal credit card for their business and they would prefer not to, and then just so much other information from like, if they use accounting software, what kind of like financial data do they find valuable that would help them run their business better? And so the the product was definitely a result of what they told us and even our product roadmap. So we have a key feature that we'll be adding onto the card, which is a lending product. And that too came directly from our community.
1: That's awesome. So I bet when you did go out to raise and shared all of that data and information, investors loved seeing that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think so. As (laughs) as you know, like raising is really hard. Every investor is so unique and different Mm -hmm. and what they care about is so unique and different. So I found that it was really... important for me to know exactly what I stood for exactly what I wanted to do and what how I wanted to serve this segment and not change my story to try to accommodate investors or whatnot so it didn't fit for everyone because you know at the same time like I I started the financial markets have often just not wanted to serve this segment like Mm -hmm. there's really annoying bias around it that is really unfounded, too. So you, there's a lot that you have to break through with investors and find the investors that understand the value. Um, but it, it wasn't easy. <laughs>
1: Well, I want to hear all about the process of your raise right now because many of our Entreprenista League members are gearing up for a raise or thinking about raising in the future. And I know you have some incredible learning lessons to share. So my first question is, how did you determine how much money you needed to raise?
0: I think the markets determine it more than we do as founders. And what the markets want, I was building a financial product. The upfront cost of a financial product is massive. So I raised $3.25 billion without a product, just as the vision of it. And in all honesty, that's low for building a financial Mm -hmm. product. Like it's really, really expensive because we also built something direct to market. But I think when I talk to friends building a product, I think there's a lot of things to consider. It's like how much traction Can you get on your own validating what you're going to build to de-risk the investment so that you can ask for what you need in the market and ask for a right number? I think it's like having a really good financial model and then adding 30% to it is about the right number for 18 months. I think it's interesting for females. It's not just us. We get advised all the time to in it, this idea of like, how little can you raise? And so, you, I hear a lot of pitches of like, if I could just get a hundred thousand dollars, I could like almost kill myself, <laughs> 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 maybe end up divorced. My kids won't know me, but I would be able to make it to a seed round that's one million dollars. And it's like, I think we got to ask for what we really need to build out mm-hmm. a real company and shoot for the right number, the larger number. And like I said, I think that's really determined by the market. I think a pre-seed, like one to three million seems to be ballpark for a pre-seed to go out and validate a concept. But you know, it's all about, like, what do you actually need to make it 18 months and to actually build your product? Because there's a lot of downside to not getting the right amount of money, too. Because if you're going to tell people, I'm going to go achieve these three milestones with this, you know, $700,000, you need to actually be able to achieve those milestones.
1: Yep. And if you don't have the the money to do it, then you're not going to be able to raise your next round.
0: Right. Yeah. It's tricky stuff. I think the The bigger challenge is not how much to raise, it's how to get your valuation right, Mm -hmm. understanding your cap table. Like, I think I don't remember the name of the book. It has the word venture in it, but I got recommended to read it early on, and it was like a Bible of how venture works. It's so important to understand those ins and outs of term sheets and cap tables Because if you mess it up on your first round, you won't make it to your C and D because you messed up your cap table so much. And you have to like hold on to your cap table as if it's real dollars Mm -hmm. for that reason.
1: Such great advice. Can you talk more about the process for the fundraise? So now you determined, you know, what you wanted to raise built your pitch deck, now it's time to go out and start meeting with potential investors. What was that process like for you?
0: Sure. And I just want to clarify, I am from Missoula, Montana. Like we don't even have like a real venture there. So if I can do this, anyone can do this. And I totally mean that because it's not like I was in San Francisco or I went to Stanford. Like if you looked at me on paper, pretty much everything was against me. I'm like, you know, a non Ivy league school. I'm not technical. I don't have a co-founder. I'm a female and then I'm in Montana and I raised in the middle of the pandemic. So like,
1: you have every X against <laughs> you on paper from traditional what VCs look at. So I am with you. If you can do it, anyone can do it. So tell everyone all of your secrets, the playbook you use, your learning lessons. This is everyone's going to be listening. So tell us everything.
0: So one, I was fortunate enough to know a few people in San Francisco. I knew like three VCs, and I met this one person who was a VC giving me advice. And I clung on to him and essentially was like, I'm not going to pitch you, but can you just teach me everything? And that was way, way, way more valuable. Um, He has since become a personal investor, but... The point being is, like, it was he just laid it out to me. He's like, okay, you don't just need a pitch deck. You also need a data room. Here's what your data room needs to look like. Here's an example of one. Here's a list of all that you need to build before you go out and raise. Don't you dare go out and raise before you have a data room, because if the first investor asks you for your data room link and you don't have one, they're going to know you don't have, like, a good plan, Here's how you have to think about your financial model, like, and he just laid it out. So I had a really well organized data room. I was really thoughtful about what I was doing. I wasn't just like pitching a a fake idea that this was venture scalable and a potential multi billion dollar exit. I modeled it and I felt confident about those numbers. But outside of like the deck and the data room, that's where the real work is. So I approached raising as like a competitive sport. I built a spreadsheet of. All the potential VCs that could fund me, I did it through Crunchbase, where Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, they need to fund pre-seed or seed. They need to fund fintech. They need to have an active fund. It can't be like, you know, you don't want to go pitch a fund that's not even deploying capital. Mm -hmm. So I really narrowed down and ended up with a list of about 100. I exported that from Crunchbase. And I think I hired like a virtual assistant overseas to essentially go through and link to like that VC's LinkedIn to like copy into the spreadsheet any connections I had with anyone at the VC that I could ask for introductions for. So I, I did that with the whole list. I then wrote like an intro blurb that was like a forwarding intro blurb. If I was going to reach out directly blurb, all these different ways. And then I'm in that same spreadsheet, I made a tab of like my best connectors. I identified about 25 people that could really make the biggest difference in making the most introductions for me. And then before I asked for introductions, I met with a whole group of VCs just for advice. I pitched them. I said, like, I just want feedback. And sometimes I think it's scary to do that because you don't want to lose any opportunity Mm -hmm. to raise. You're like, oh, I don't want to ask them for advice because then they can't give me money. But there was a, a woman in particular in New York from a really big fintech fund, and she was like, an I, I just asked for advice from her, but she probably made 80% of the introductions wow. for me. And then once I had all that dialed in, I went out and raised as if I had to have it done within a week, like I was very serious about it every morning I woke up and was like, how do I get another intro? And I like wouldn't leave my inbox or LinkedIn until I found like one more intro to ask for one more connection. But you know, what's so funny is the people, the funds and whatnot, I would have thought would have been like my lead investors or funders. It didn't shake out that way. I ended up mostly getting funded by the people that I had just built relationships with, been really authentic with and transparent with. And even my lead investor, I didn't even know he had a fund. I reached out to him asking advice on like a term sheet I got, I think.
1: When you reached out and asked for advice for that person you're talking about now, was that someone you knew or just someone you found and you thought they could give you advice? I
0: knew this person. So they were one of those, like, advisors along the way that I was just super honest with. And I'm like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Like, can you give me some feedback on this? And I think I was even, like, really frustrated at the time and communicate that. I was like, gosh, like, this is a really crazy process. It's really awful. Like, (laughs) Um, he's like, hey, let's talk. Like, I have an update for you, too. So... I was really lucky. I stuck with it every day as if my life depended on it. I never let up. I never started floating. Well, I'm seeing about raising like I was raising and I
1: was confident. Did you give deadlines in those emails? Like, are there any Is there secret sauce to the emails you were sending? Like, I'm taking meetings between this date and this date, closing this round on this date. How did you build urgency?
0: I hear a lot of that advice and I got a lot of that advice too. This might be too transparent, but let's just go for it anyways. This woman who had, she's been like the most helpful to me. She was a founder at the time. Um, She had just closed $20 million A pre-launching a product. Someone connected me to her and I got on the phone with her. And I was like, you know, playing this game, like doing all the things the way I got advised to. And she was like, just stop. She, um, I like hesitate to say this, but I'm gonna say it. She's like, You are a white woman in Montana, you don't play by those rules, like, you don't get to just be like, Well, the market will determine my valuation. And, um, she kind of called bullshit on this idea that I called me out on trying to play someone else's game and pulled me back to that idea of like, I'm gonna play this game by the cards I've been dealt, which obviously is super unfortunate. And that's like a whole different conversation. But she gave me some hard advice on, like, you need to just say what you need. You need to be clear. You might make people nervous or I don't know. Like, But anyways, long story short, I lucked out in that I'm really not capable of being anything but authentic and transparent. Mm-hmm. And because of that is how I ended up landing my investors because they saw that in me as, as a valuable trait of me just being like, Hey, like, let's find what's fair and right. Here's why I don't think that's fair. And even in the term sheet, things like, Hey, like statistically, like, because I'm a woman, I'm going to be pushed out in the next two years. So it's really important that I get to pick the third independent board member, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I was just that honest about it. And it, it worked for me. Um, But I'm not capable of being any other way. So it had to work for me.
1: Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Such incredible advice and again congratulations on being able to accomplish such an incredible raise because as you said, you had everything stacked against you on paper and clearly if people open their doors and give you the opportunity to meet you and learn about what you're doing, that the sky is the limit and the themes of everything you just shared reaching out and asking for help, building connections and building community like that is everything, being able to get those intros. So I think for, you know, so many women that are thinking about raising right now, hearing that from you, it's hard to go out and send all these cold emails. As you know, VCs don't always respond to cold emails. Some do, but many don't because they're getting pitched, you know, hundreds of emails every single day. So being able to get those warm intros things like that are accessible if you join a community and you join a community of other founders that wanna help make those intros and connections. We were just talking about that right before we were recording here. And the same for me, for the raise I've been doing, getting those intros is is everything. So thank you, thank you for for sharing that.
0: Yeah, and I, I will just say like, It was women that made most of my introductions. I had a lot of male allies, too. But I do want to call out, I had a really amazing experience raising. I never felt like my gender was an issue in Mm -hmm. any way with males or females. Like, at the end of the day, a VC's job is to return their fund and make money. If you can do that, they don't care who you are. And I felt that. Like, I think there's a lot of problems in the venture space, specifically for minorities and women. But there are so many amazing
1: people in this space, too. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that as well. Coming up, you will hear how Stephanie determined how much capital she needed to raise. All right, Steph, this is one of my favorite segments. I'm going to ask you a few rapid-fire questions. So the first word or words or ideas that come to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Describe yourself in three words. Ambitious,
0: competitive, and passionate.
1: What is your favorite business tool or solution that you've used to help grow any of your businesses?
0: Just my cell phone in general. I can't live without it because it's like being a mom, um, being able to work on the go. But yeah, just my cell phone, being able to do it all from there.
1: I definitely agree with you. I don't know what we would do. (laughs) I feel like it's like a a limb now, right? (laughs) All right. Very important question. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Is there an app on your phone that you can't live without? Email. Does that count? Yeah, that definitely counts. And finally, do you have a hidden talent?
0: No, I really don't. I don't think I do, at least.
1: Building (laughs) businesses, but I guess it's not hidden, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: building businesses is a talent. I, I really am. I know how to do that. That's my one skill.
1: It's awesome. I love it. All right. Back to our regular questions. So you just mentioned you're a mom. I would love to learn a little bit about how you, I don't even want to say balance it all because it's really more like work-life integration now. So how is your life integrated? How do you manage your day?
0: You know, it's like an ever-changing topic and I've had seasons. So my kids are eight and 10 now. And I feel like I've lived 12 different seasons within that, just depending on what my husband is building at the time, what I'm building at the time. And it seems to evolve just like day to day. I wish I had a really great advice here. But me, like most, it's just really exhausting, right? Like I, I want to totally be there for my kids. I want to be around. And I also want to work really hard. And so... I think I've mostly taken the approach that I've always taken in life, which I definitely took in school, where, like, in college, I was the one that, like, sat in the front row and just paid attention and was, like, doing my homework as the teacher Mm -hmm. was teaching it because I didn't have time to do homework at night because I had jobs and I had to pay for my own college. And I kind of feel that way about work now, too, like— the, you know, call the eight hours, eight, 10 hours a day that I'm working. I am like so focused. I'm so on. I'm working really hard. And then I try to just check out and go be with my family and, and whatnot. But my partner is obviously a, a big support there. He has to be you know, he um, takes the kids to school, picks them up, like, and he's working really hard, especially this year, to manage just, like, the mental stress of it. Because that's the one where I'm like, please, somebody tell me. It's the, like, how do I not think about, oh, my gosh, like, my husband's on a plane at 4 p.m. Wednesday, but I'm flying back in to home and I won't land at 8 p.m., and so I'm really stressed about where my kids are going to be from four to eight and who's going to pick them up. And, and what if I'm on a plane and the like school doesn't release the kids? Like I would love to learn how to release that stress and just kind of go with it the way my husband does, because it always works out and he's just like better at it than me. And I don't know. So long story short. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I am, like, figuring it out every day, and it's really hard.
1: Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, I can relate <laughs> so much. My daughter just turned three, and my husband is also a super active supporter in everything that I've been doing and building. And he's been home with her for the past few years and didn't go back to his job when um when Molly was born and now she started school and takes her to school, he's out with her right now. And it's like, I can't imagine not having this supportive partner. But again, like, it sounds like your husband too, like he's able to release. And I'm like thinking even right now as we're recording this, like, oh, they haven't come home yet. Where are they? Is everything going to be okay? And it's (laughs) like, somehow we're all, we're able to have like 10 different thoughts at the, at the same time. But I think that's why we're so good in business, right? Like we can multitask all these things, but. How to release everything? I can tell you some of the things that I've done that have helped, but I'm by no means perfect. I started yeah. using es- essential oils to relax, and I I diffuse essential oils like in my office at night because, and I use these little like these roller balls to just like roll on and like I literally will be in between meetings and smell these and just like just take a deep breath and be like, okay, I can slow down for a moment, and then it just reminds me to just like stop for a moment.
0: Yeah, and I mostly just like crash at night. It's, because um, I do, I really like doing it at all. I really like hanging out the, with the kids and playing at night. And so like 8.30, I just pass out and I sleep a lot. Like I I get like eight to nine hours of sleep every night. And so when I like hear about these like entrepreneurs that are surviving off of five hours, I'm like, well, I can't do that. So I think I get really good sleep and then I'm like ready to go again the next day.
1: Maybe that is your your trick and your secret. That sounds amazing. My daughter still doesn't sleep through the night at three. So uh, I feel like I haven't slept in four years, but I've just learned to learn to function on it. So yes, I keep saying everything is just a phase and a season and you move on to the next. We've just been in this one for a couple of years. Is there a quote or mantra that you live your life by?
0: Yes, actually, this is a big one for me and I've I've stuck with it for a long time now. It's not impossible. It just hasn't been done yet. That, That drives me, especially with funded, especially in a, you know, a market that I feel like a lot of people don't care about or don't think it's worth serving. I think in a a lot of spaces, that idea of like, okay, just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done.
1: I love that. I just wrote that down in my notes section here. So I'm going to be looking at that. I I love hearing these mantras. Is there something that you're most grateful for every day? Just the opportunity. I feel... If anything,
0: like a lot of people, I feel privileged to get to do what I'm doing. And there's like guilt that comes along with that, but also a lot of gratitude. Like I'm lucky to get to be doing this. I'm lucky to have gotten funding. Like, so it's like, especially if funded right now, it's, it's a really stressful time. We're a month away from our card launching to the market. And it, it would be really easy right now to just be like, I'm exhausted. This is like, oh my gosh, there's a new problem every 10 minutes. Instead, it's like, how cool is it that this is how I get to spend my time and and feeling grateful for that and this opportunity and trying to, like, disconnect, you know, putting too much value in building a business and being like, oh, it's like a game. And this is, like, kind of a fun way to spend my day. Like, it could be way worse. or, um, But I try really hard to just be, like, grateful for the opportunity to be doing this.
1: Well, you're definitely making such an impact. My final question for you, and we could chat for hours, I feel like, Steph. (laughs) What does being an entrepreneur mean to you?
0: I love this term. I love what you all are doing in your community, too. But to me, I really think like there's a lot of empowerment in being a female entrepreneur. And that's kind of what it means to me is like that empowerment behind women and supporting each other, creating new channels for each other, making introductions for each other. And so, I I think like when I hear entrepreneurista, I think of empowerment and and help.
1: I love that. And that's exactly what we're here to do. And we're both doing trying to help as many women founders as we can. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And for entrepreneurs who are interested in learning more about your card launch, as well as uh, grants opportunities, what's the best place for them to reach out? Sure.
0: Well, we are now in your community, so they can find me on your platform, and then we are going to be posting grants that we find so that your community, too, can find them. Our website is getfunded.com, and funded is spelled F-U-N-D-I-D because of the internet, and no words <laughs> exist anymore. I'm on LinkedIn. It's the only platform I'm on. I'm Stephanie Sample, Stephanie spelled with an F. But I I love helping people. So we're here. Funded is definitely here to help. And people could come to our website and see how we could help them.
1: Amazing. Well, we'll be linking out to all of your links and social channels in the show notes below. Stephanie, thank you again for being here and sharing your incredible story, all of your learning lessons. And we are so excited for our partnership to continue to share funded with our entire Entrepreneurista and Entreprenista League community. So thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.